Okay, Bezer Deshen. Parshat Shemot, 5780. I want to try to explain uh, one of my favorite Zohars based on that Baruch Hashem over Shabbos. I saw a, a very strong explanation of a question that I had in the last recording. What does it mean that throughout our lives our task is to raise the holy sparks? So the Zohar says in this week's parsha we begin Parshat Shemot, where we begin the enslavement of the Jews in Egypt, the Israelites. And there's one verse that says that the Egyptians forced them to work hard, back-breaking, difficult labor, basically. But in Hebrew, it's Avodakasha Bachomer Obilvenim. Hard work with mortar and bricks. So the Zohar says, another way of seeing those verses is to say, Avodakasha, difficult labor, is a kasha, is like a gemara kasha, like a difficulty in the Talmud, where the Talmud is full of difficulties and con- seeming contradictions, and it's time to un- unwind the difficulties and the contradictions to understand a contradiction in law, apparent contradiction in Jewish law to figure it out. And you're like, what? What does it have to do with the hard work in Egypt? They weren't studying the Talmud. They weren't studying anything. They were slaves. Chaimer, the mortar, says the Zohar, is what's called a kol v'chomer in, in uh, Talmudic learning. A kol v'chomer is an a fortiori argument. It means like heavy and light. So if this light thing, if, you know, as my rabbi always says, if Arnold, if uh, a baby can lift um, uh, a piece of bread, call the homer, obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger, a super strong person, can lift a loaf of bread, right? If this light thing can do it, obviously this heavy thing can do it. That's a very major move in Talmudic thinking. So again... They weren't doing Talmudic logical arguments. They were dealing with mortar. And again, the Zohar says, what does it mean that they were working with bricks? Bilvenim? Bricks? That's called a binyan av. In Talmudic thinking, a binyan av is where you have one general category, one general axiom, that it's built out into many applications. I can't think of one right now. Uh, I'll have to decide that but it's a logical argument in Talmud so what in the heck does the slavery and the toil and the suffering in Egypt have to do with learning Gemara, with learning Talmud so it's a beautiful lesson in the idea that no matter what we go through we are doing what's, what's called raising holy sparks. And I said that I, I'm struggling with, I've been struggling with this idea. What does it mean for so long? But the idea is that everything we go through in life, if we do it with a muna, if we do it with faith, that there's a process, the creator has a process, it means that we can learn something from every situation. Essentially, an extremely oversimplified way of putting it, 
to raise a holy spark is to glean a lesson or some type of eternal spiritual development from every situation such that even in a situation where the Jews were enslaved in Egypt even if they weren't necessarily conscious of it they were developing even through the toil even through the suffering they were developing their spiritual tools to ultimately receive the Torah the slavery there's so much to say there's so much to say about why the Jews were enslaved in Egypt the basic Kabbalistic understanding of why they became enslaved is extremely deep and it's one of my favorite ideas as well the reason it's given is that these souls which ended up being born into slavery in Egypt were the reincarnations of the souls that were wicked during the times of building the Tower of Babel as well as even earlier the wicked souls that drowned in the flood and Noah's flood what's the proof says the Arizal the proof is that the decree to throw the Jewish baby boys in the Nile River was that it's a repeat process of the drowning in the flood by Noah's flood and they still needed to get fixed up through that experience they didn't quit quite humbled by the flood itself so they get humbled one more time through the decree to throw the babies in the water oh awful horrible you know but part of the deeper plan and the punishment to have to build up cities in, in Egypt was a punishment for be in a prior lifetime building up the Tower of Babel when they were the, when they were in that incarnation building the Tower of Babel so all, tons to say about well how is it fair to suffer in one lifetime based on sins on a prior lifetime um, that's a whole separate topic but again the Zohar is saying that this wasn't just senseless suffering in other words when they were building those cities whether they knew it or not when they were building those cities in Egypt they were actually whether they knew it or not building their spiritual vessels to receive the Torah which in the Talmudic sense, involves these logical moves, these kol v'chomers and a fortioris and, and, and solving apparent contradictions in law. They were building their spiritual vessel to receive the Torah, even through the backbreaking work. And so that is the essence of what we mean by raising the sparks. It means that with the right attitude and the right perspective, Every single step we take, we can be aware. And sometimes we're not aware. Sometimes, like these Jews in Egypt, um, it's very clear from the Midrash that they descended very quickly in their spiritual level. Such that all they basically held on to was their Jewish names and language, and they didn't intermarry. And Midrashically, it also says they kept Shabbos. Moses asked Pharaoh to give the Jews a day off on Shabbos. But they were essentially became totally ignorant in spiritual matters. Yes, the Torah hadn't been given, but of course, you know, the forefathers, and even before the forefathers, back to Adam, they had the Kabbalistic tradition of the spiritual truth, like spiritual metaphysics. This was passed down from generation to generation. And Abraham learned it from Alchitzedek. Jacob learned it from Shem and Aver. Um, Shem, who, su who survived the flood, 
with Noah, like these Sadiqim that is mentioned before Abraham, they had the spiritual tradition of spiritual truth. Like what is divine energy? How does it impact our life for blessing? And they lost that transmission basically. Only the Sadiqim, like Levi and Moshe and Aaron, really held on to it still by the time that they hit this very low level in Egypt. But still, even though they, they basically lost almost all their awareness of spiritual reality and spiritual truth and mitzvot, to the extent they had that, they were still developing their spiritual vessels through the suffering, even though they, were, they had no idea that they were. But we, who have Torah, we can for sure be aware and try to focus on, at every step we take, building our spiritual vessels. Because the Jews in Egypt at this stage, when they're almost completely ignorant and they're suffering terribly, it's still building their spiritual vessel to receive the Torah and to go from the lowest lows to the highest heights, from the depths of slavery in Egypt to the highest heights of receiving the Torah Mount Sinai, which was the highest pinnacle of spiritual experience there ever was, as is clear in the Midrash. To the extent I believe it's, it's considered that it was an even higher spiritual level of humanity than Adam in the Garden of Eden. Got to check in on that. I'm not quite sure if it's higher or equal or not quite as high. But Adam in the Garden of Eden was super, super high, as well as the Jews at Mount Sinai, super high. Probably higher because the lasting effect of the Sinai experience was the Torah, which means the reality was destined to be improved versus not like that by Adam's experience in the garden. So I think the implication is Mount Sinai experience was higher. And so how was the suffering in Egypt building these Jews' vessel to receive such a high experience at Mount Sinai, even though they had no idea that the suffering was building them and preparing them? Well, again, we said it's because these souls were reincarnations of those negatives, of those souls that did negative things by the flood and by the Tower of Babel. And what the slavery was doing was it was softening them tremendously. It was taking souls which in prior generations and prior reincarnations had been very rebellious, very arrogant in the generations of the flood, very rebellious, very arrogant and the Tower of Babel. And this slavery experience was breaking them, breaking them and humbling them to such an extent that they would be so ready and prepared to make Hashem their leader, to make God their leader, when the consciousness was revealed at Mount Sinai. By the way, one, one more... Um, kind of proof to this idea that the uh, Jews in Egypt were the reincarnations of those souls is that there's already a decree of the slavery in Egypt by Abraham. God says to Abraham, you should know that your, kid, your, your descendants, your offspring, are going to be slaves in Egypt. Why was there already that decree? Because there had already been the negative generations of the flood and the Tower of Babel. So there was already there by a decree 
that there would need to be something set up to clean these souls of their negative way that they had created in prior life. So there, there was already a decree for the Egypt slavery because there was already the cause of it, which was their negative behavior in those prior reincarnations. So like another sort of proof. And this actually gets us then to understanding really the deep yisod, the deep idea of raising the sparks. Because why should there be something that from a prior generation, these flood, this flood generation, this Tower of Babel generation, they did something negative, okay, so why do they have to pay for it in a new life? Because this gets us into understanding the permanence and the eternality of what we do throughout our different lifetimes and reincarnations. Because we have to understand that everything we do and experience in our life is affecting this middle this middle ground state, the transistor state between the body and the soul. Because there are three, to make it extremely oversimplified, there are basically three levels to our existence. This is hinted to in, um, for example, Noah's Ark had three levels, top, middle, and bottom floor. There's lots of threes. There's lots of instances where reality is split up into threes. There's space, time, and soul. Or Olam Shana Nefesh. Lots and lots and lots to say. But there's basically three levels to our reality, to our existence. We can go from the bottom then go straight to the top, and then in order to understand what's in the middle. The bottom level of our existence is the body level. And the body level is, simply put, the final conglomeration, congealment, manifestation of so many spiritual equations of spiritual forces and commands from the Creator down through a chains of so many worlds and developments to finally come out as the physical state of one's body and how it's situated and how it's situated in space and time, what's going on, such that we see that physical expression everywhere is just the congealment of spiritual processes inside. You look at a tree, we've said this analogy recently, you look at a tree, what it really is, it's not the bark, it's not what you see with your eyes. Really the tree, from the lens of truth, from the lens of form and versus matter and material, the tree is really the life force that developed inside that tree to make it grow up from a seed to a sapling to a huge tree. And it's kind of like, you can imagine that the organic material that is in clothing on this tree could have been organic material for a different plant, I think, you know. 
So the tree isn't so much the physical stuff that is on the outside, but really the tree is the spiritual form of life that grows in its form and looks to our eyes eventually as the shape of a tree. But it's really the life force and the the specific shape of life force in the tree that's really the tree. And it's the same with our bodies and everything physical. It's really about the shape of life force inside of everything that's really essential to that thing. And everything is growing like a tree, really. Because there's, in everything, there's a spiritual core that takes on a shape. And what we see as the garments and the dressings that meets our eye, that's just the, that's the physical bodily encasing on the real spiritual form inside. So that's the body at the bottom. At the height, at the top, is the great, enormously bright, brilliant soul, the neshama, that is like one with God, so to speak, straight from the breath of God. And we understand that, for example, when an infant is just born, a newborn, it has one of these enormously high souls, just as everyone does. This soul has existed eternally. It's one with Hashem. One with Hashem. As the verse says in Eov and Job. So to speak, a portion of God above. Meaning a portion of his expression in the world is the soul. The souls are at the very top of the chain of God's specific expressions. So when you see that a newborn can barely do anything but eat and sleep and go to the bathroom and cry, it's because it's not because he doesn't have an enormous soul. It really is because there's an intermediary level, and which is called uh, in Kabbalistic terminology and is spoken of in the verses that sell him the image the interface image. This is what is, comp- is extremely underdeveloped in a baby. So the baby, the newborn, has a huge soul. But the reason it's so limited when it's first born is because there's basically been no development of the tselem, of the image interface between his enormous soul and his body. That interface is what we build throughout our life. So here's the thing. This is the difference between people who strive to keep Torah and mitzvot and don't. Everyone's selim, everyone's interface image develops on a basic level. Everybody, unless they have developmental issues, their brain's going to get bigger. Their capacity for intelligence is going to open up and flourish their capacity for fine motor skills and using their hands and feet to drive and write and type is going to develop. So a baby becomes an adult. The difference is, is that Torah and mitzvot add 
an infinite dimension upon basic development so that it's not just pulling energy out of nutrition and food and mysterious processes that allow this interface between the soul and the body to open up, but only on a very basic default level such that you're just developing an occupational skill. You're just developing basic good character traits to work, to have a family, to get along with people. Torah takes it way beyond the basics and opens up way more, way deeper, way more eternal openings of the image, of the, of the screen, of the lens between the pure soul and the body and the body that comes out and the bodily experience and physical embeddedness experience that comes out on the other side of those screens. When we do Torah and mitzvot, we open up infinitely more vessels and channels between the divine soul and the ultimate bodily congealment and expression out the other side. Like, let me ask you, just because somebody is some amazingly smart astrophysicist or businessman or whatever, is he necessarily godly for that? Couldn't you say that there's this infinitely intense revelation of the God of all existence shining in him just because he's smart? Just because he made a lot of money? No. So how do you get that light to shine in you? That's the Torah mitzvot. There's way more levels of quote-unquote intelligence and divine energy than simply just being very smart or even being very nice. There's way more to experience. There's way more channels to open up between the body and the soul than just being smart or nice. And that's the Torah mitzvot. And that's why there needed to be a reckoning across reincarnations between the generations of the flood and Babel that they had and the Tower of Babel that they needed to get cleaned and prepared during the slavery experience in Egypt because their their salon was really messed up their image that their interface between the soul and the body, between the soul and imminent worldliness, the image which they damaged through their negative actions in prior lifetimes, that's what needed to get fixed in the slavery experience. And that tells you, therefore, that that image, which is the thing that we develop, that is what stays with a person even after their earthly existence ends in a certain lifetime. What we take with us into the next stage of life, into eternity, or unfortunately, if we have to be reincarnated again, into the next reincarnation, to next Gilgal, is what did you do? What have you been doing with your Tzalem? What have you been doing with your image, with your image interface? That screen that is so many channels and so many openings sh- causing your soul, 
which is enormous and brilliant and one with Hashem, to shine into bodily existence. What have you been doing with that? How have you been working to build that interface? So the Arizal tells us that what it means to raise a holy spark, it means that in every opportunity, for every step we take, we have an opportunity to do a mitzvah. And as we said in the last recording, this can be literally done all the time if you have the right intention. Even when you're running just basic errands or just taking a walk, every second you can be thinking, meditating on Hashem, contemplating God, helping, doing something nice. You can be every second working to open up that interface image, that selling between your infinitely perfect soul, which is created by Hashem, and the way that that soul flows through your image to create physical expression, which is also out of your control. What's in your control is your free will to clean that lens and to open up that lens and to make the lens more powerful between your soul and your body. That's the secret of what it says that Hashem created man, but Selim Elohim, in the image of Elohim. The image is this great lens which a person can focus and develop and open up and clean and perfect and make more powerful, which focuses the light of his soul to more powerfully express in the world. And every move we make and every effort we take to enhance that lens, that interface between body and soul, between perfect soul and its ultimate expression in the physical world, those efforts and those and those additions and, and improvements are lasting forever. And the Arizal is extremely clear that every day that we are allotted to live and every lifetime that we have to keep reincarnating into is to keep giving us moments and opportunities to wake up and start working on that lens, to start improving that lens between body and soul. So to raise a holy spark means to take any energy, energy of nutrition, energy of information, every, every bit of energy we take from the world, information, nutrition, experience, whatever it is, we take all that from the world and we use it to enhance our selling, to enhance the image, the lens, the interface between body and soul. That's raising the spark. That's what it is. And in last week's Parsha, it says that the days of Yisrael, who was Jacob, he got the name Yisrael, his days drew close to death. And the Zohar says, how many days does a person die? It should have said the day of his death drew near, not the days of his death drew near. But the very famous Zohar which the RE uses as a basis for this idea of the sparks, as we just explained, it means that every day a person ever lived and did mitzvot in them, all of those days enwrap around the soul like a garment and they travel with him into the future world. Which means that we take our tzalim with us. We take that lens that we built that turned us from not just a baby into an adult, but from a baby into a spiritually mature adult. 
that lens that we built to make that transition, that's what we take with us. That's what it means all our days travel with us into the future world. Amen. And that's what it means that the Sadiqim describe Olam Haba as a place of Orach Yamim, a time of lengthening of days. It means we get to enjoy all of the work that we did day by day to build that lens, to build our tzalem. What it means is that it's lengthened. Our days are lengthened. Our efforts throughout our days are lengthened. It means that in this world, we don't really get to experience the cumulative effect of all our effort day by day because we're stuck in the klipot. Our bodies are stuck in a lowly degraded physical world. But in the future, imagine experiencing 